Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Very good. We are live, I think. Is that correct? Yep, we are live. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska show coming to you live here from somewhere in Alaska. And uh, we're just really happy to start out this new week with John Quick, my co-host. Um, Must Read Alaska, if you want to help us out, of course, head over to the website and, and uh, hit that donate button. It really helps us keep these shows going as well as, uh, as our newsletter that goes out three days a week and the website, which it goes you know, two to five new stories every single day and lots and lots of content. And uh, John Quick, you are somewhere in Nikiski this morning. So what is in the Nikiski report? Uh, not much to report on. We had uh, Industry Appreciation Day this last weekend, and it looks and sounds like it's turning more into Nonprofit Appreciation Day, which is very sad. You know, we hope that uh, somewhere along the lines we can turn our economy back uh, for, for the better and for the good here on the Kenai Peninsula specifically. And I think people see that in the Industry Appreciation Day. They couldn't really fill up the booths with industry, and so they filled up the booths with nonprofits this year. And, you know, God forbid, in the next couple of years, hopefully it doesn't turn into Government Appreciation Day. So um, I, uh, but I think we're still hopeful here on the peninsula. We have a couple really awesome projects. Um, one is the old uh, Agram plant, uh, which has produced uh, fertilizer, essentially. And, you know, they've been poking around for natural gas uh, for the, since 2008, which is a very long time. And uh, I think, you know, people are hopeful. They've, they're going doing the dog and pony show to different rotary groups here in the last couple of months saying that they think that they found something. Now, they've done that same dog and pony show for 10 years. But um, if something like that were to happen it would single-handedly save the economy here on the peninsula. It'd be a hundred jobs all paying a hundred thousand dollars a year or so. So um, we still hold out hope and uh, we, you know, we're clinging on to those couple projects that could potentially happen here on the peninsula. Yeah. The, the risk for you really on the peninsula right now is that you've got a really good, strong uh, private sector actually. And it's, but it's a, it's a legacy private sector. You know, we had the LNG plant, we had uh, a lot of, industry going on down there, but uh, with tourism is a, is a huge thing, of course. But if if the nonprofits come in and start filling in, then you end up with a nonprofit economy and it really will change the characteristic of, of your community. And right now you've got a solid community. I was there over the weekend and when I was driving out of um, Sterling back toward Anchorage, I thought to myself, you know, think about the Kenai, Kenai Peninsula. Everywhere you look, people have great toys. They have snow machines, four wheelers, they have boats, they have jet skis, they have, you know, all kinds of fishing things going on and um, pack rafting. 
it, it's just, it is a wonderland of just opportunity down there for people. I really would hate to see it turn into an anchorage. Um, the, the tendency to embrace non, the, sort of the nonprofit world, that becomes a little bit of a thing where all of a sudden it becomes a nonprofit industrial complex and it happens slowly. But here at Anchorage, of course, that's what we kind of have. We've got a big nonprofit sector and between government and nonprofits, they pretty much around the world. Well, let's get on to our guest here. Our guest is Dave Steeran today. Dave Steeran, you are here in your own capacity, although you do work for the governor's office in doing outreach and uh, community engagement. You kind of, uh, I guess your job there is to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in Alaska. And also you do a lot of engagement with people on Twitter. I know you you kind of um, beat back some of the trolls and that's one of your roles. You are here today in your own capacity, correct? Yep, yep. from the home office, as you can see behind me. Nothing yes. governmenty behind me at all. No, and I just do love that. Uh, those Look, black I even have a partisan coffee mug. It's got an elephant on it. So okay. there, I'm off so the clock. Off the clock. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to be checking your timesheet because we because we surely know the mainstream media will be checking <laughs> your timesheet. So, so we will too. And um, and so we're really appreciative of having you here today. You were on uh, the uh, the election night uh, live stream with us. We enjoyed that so much. I thought, well, let's just have you back on and we'll talk about some other things because we didn't really get a chance to dive into some things. So what is, um, what's going on with, um, with, we've got 78 days, the midterm elections, we've got, um, you know, the governor is, is making the rounds and he's trying to make his case for another four years, which is looking pretty good for him as it turns out. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what his vision is for the, the future here. You know, and, and that's a that's a great question, Suzanne. You know, the the I, I think and as, as someone, all, all three of us and the people watching here on, on Facebook and thanks once again for for having me. We're at that. We're out of the, the spring training preseason election, which is what happened last week, aside from the congressional race. And that, of course, won't be decided until the end of the month. And and it's it's going to be this this hybrid of. What have you done and what do you really want to do? Right. You're going to have you know, the, the, the governor will articulate his vision for the future. His opponents will, will do the same. And, and realistically, what's what's so interesting about this particular race is is three of the four candidates have executive office experience in the top four. All four have been elected to office before. No, no one can wrap themselves in the mantle of outsider. One of the four would lead you to believe that he was never governor for four years in the first place. So it, it, it's 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 real interesting as to how the next seventy some odd days are shaping out. And, and I think uh, the the challenge for for Governor Dunleavy is is that transition from earthquake, fire, flood, pandemic to well, this is what I really want to see accomplished and what direction I really want to move Alaska in over the next four years. He had a strong win leading off with the repeal of SB 91. And that was after, of course, the earthquake. And then for, what would you say, a year and a half, two years, things sort of got bogged down in a lot of things that we couldn't control in our office or, or frankly, the state of Alaska. The Canadians cut us off. Uh, there was concerns about the viability of, of the Tacoma port. Uh, our summer economy all but evaporated for a summer and change with, with uh, the federal government shutting down cruise ships and restricting travel. So what 
what he wanted to do and what, what we tried to do is, is develop a workaround. And then you realize, well, much like me doing your plumbing, a workaround probably isn't the long-term solution to, frankly, anything. And, and so that, that's where the, the gaps in, in opportunity for the state really manifested itself. I mean, you, you talked very accurately about Anchorage is the home of government and nonprofits. And the, the, the problem that Anchorage presents is people tend to think, well, what happens in Anchorage pretty much matters to the rest of the state. And then, of course, you talk with anybody 20 minutes in either direction and nobody really cares about Anchorage, except we're a bit of a laughing stock most of the time. Yeah. So, so what are those things, right? Like, like economic uh, opportunity, and and not just to to make money, but but to really grow, to go from from just just living to thriving, to having the sort of life and opportunities that for years we thought were exclusive to slope workers, right? Slope yeah. workers are two weeks on, two weeks off. They make good six-figure jobs. They make a lot of overtime. They have ribeyes and crab legs every night when they work up on the North Slope. And 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 people think, well, if you want to have a good life and a good job like that, we got to be an oil, uh, an oil worker. And, and kind of to some of the homes you pointed out on the Kenai. Some of those folks work on the platform. Some of them commute north. They have all the toys in their front and or back and or side yeah. of their yard. But as we saw through the pandemic, production maintained a certain level with a lot fewer people. We also saw it prior to that, of course, with the drop in oil prices right. and, and the oilies having to do more with less to keep their margins intact. Well, I, I don't see that the governor feels that that upward mobility and economic opportunity is the exclusive domain of the oil industry. And that's not taking a shot at them. That's just... There, there are plenty of other opportunities that the state of Alaska represents for, for, I think one of the biggest things is sustainability of the population, right? Right, right. That, seen, that's right. We, we, you we've know, we've got to do that. We, we've seen a decline in population and, and people are saying, well, it's because wages are artificially repressed. I don't know anyone in any job sector that's hiring that you're going to be able to legitimately cite wages are artificially repressed. I, I think it goes back to, okay, I can get a job here and I can probably make a decent amount of money here, but I can do that anywhere. And it's it's sort of making the case for Alaska that, that as someone who moved up here 28 years ago, this sort of weird vibe of, well, you weren't born here, so you don't really matter. You're not an originalist. Like, well, I loaded all my crap. I moved 2,200 miles to be here. I got a mortgage. I got a dog. I got a lawn that I haven't been able to mow in two weeks because of the rain. The rain. <laughs> I'm I'm just as Alaskan as anybody else, and I I think what what we need to do in our capacity over the next four years is is sort of I don't know if we'll ever break that mindset of some, but we really have to make the case nationally to the rest of of the country. We're stable. We have uh, upward economic mobility. Yes, we got a lot of work to do on our education system. And I think the Reeds bill was a good first step with that. Yeah. We, we've reduced crime aside from the, the tragedy over the weekend. I know you may talk about that a little bit later on. We've reduced crime steadily over the past few years after the repeal of SB 91. And, and I, I don't view the governor so much as needing to remind Alaskans of the opportunity that they have now, but to make the case of we increase accessibility to land. We we remove more and more of the barriers that we have to entry. We 
we can do a whole lot of, of economic expansion without some multi-billion dollar state-funded study or, or project. We don't need the Chinese or the state of Alaska to, to push forward, example, on, on a mega project like, like a gas line, if it comes to that. If the, if the numbers bear out, the private sector will do that. So, and I'm probably monologuing here a little bit, but I, I think that is sort of the mindset that at least our our office has and, and we'll be doing, I, I absolutely know, a better job projecting that message, not just for the purposes of our office, but I think because the state of Alaska really needs that for the long term. Well, it seems to me, and I think you're articulating well that what uh, we have so many opportunities in the state to uh, to expand huge industries up here. With we could expand mining, oil, of course, can be expanded, gas. But it is the federal government that is sort of the downward pressure, trying to keep everything um, into a, a box. And as they try to expand into some uh, other areas like the, the green economy, whatever that is, because of course, as we all know, that once you start manufacturing electric cars, that means you need specialized minerals that only come from China, where they're digging them with, you know, by using child labor and that type of thing. So um, we we have a lot of opportunity up here, but let's talk a little bit about the gas line, because I know that he's been to Japan to talk to customers about the the gas line and our opportunities for selling them gas from what we consider to be, it doesn't feel stable, but it's a stable province here. And uh, compared to uh, uh, like Russia and some other places, uh, what where are we at with that? I know that China bill, uh, the former governor wanted to, you know, have basically sign the whole thing over and have the Chinese finance it, build it, and then basically own the gas in it as well. And of course, we would end up owning the infrastructure. But if things didn't work out, like the airport in Uganda, they could just <laughs> they could come in and and take it over and just. Uh, uh, claim ownership. The Portuguese but, electrical grid. I mean, there are, there are, uh, there are, there are port complexes in Mexico and in Central and South America. The, the, the thing that struck me in, in my previous life is, is you had members of the Alaska Gas Line Development Corporation come on my show and explain to me a guy who's actually signed a deal with a couple Chinese based companies when I worked at the airport that I didn't know what I was talking about when, when, Every headline of, of Chinese investment with Cinepec was this even not so cleverly hidden debt bomb. Right. He thought they're different. We're different. We're, We're different. smarter than the Chinese. We have this figured out. It's not going to be like that. Well, as I pressed him, I said, well, Cinepec, if, if I'm financing this and in my portfolio of, of companies and businesses, I have a, a top three world-class engineering firm to design the gas line. Well, I'm going to pay them because I'm paying myself. Uh, I have a, a pipeline uh, manufacturer, steel mill, et cetera. Well, I'm going to pay them because I'm paying myself. Mm-hmm. And yes, there will be some jobs and for some Alaska companies. There'll be great window dressing things. But you don't get to be the Chinese by not thinking in 20, 40, and 60-year increments. Right. We're always thinking until the next election cycle. Right. So, you know, the, the premature spiking of the ball and the, the trips to China again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. What do you have to so, show for it? Six months ago, the Russians invade Ukraine. Uh, Xi and Putin are buddies. 
That's right. And and where would we be in that? In that geopolitical dynamic under the Walker plan? Yeah. Where would we be? Yeah. Where would we be if the Chinese were, were in here building our gas line and financing our gas line right now? It is a horrible thought to think of, of where that could go. So does the governor have some other uh, some other good news at all to report on this? Because I know he's working behind the scenes and he doesn't want to get out over his skis on it, but uh, we're so eager to hear some news. I, I know, and it, it's, it, I think one of the legitimate criticisms that, that we've received is, is we don't like to talk about potential wins. And so we're, we're a terrible hype machine by, by personality and by operation. And, yeah, and, yeah. and I know that, that we get, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is what it is. We get compared a lot by people who are going to be tweeting about this and complaining about you and I having a, a conversation that, that the governor isn't former President Trump in demeanor and personality. Right. What would you, what would you have someone do? go through the motions and fake a personality change to make you as an individual feel better about you. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what's so interesting is, and you know, this as someone who used to work in government, 99% of what you do is very dull, very low key until you actually have a thing. And, and the governor is adamant about us not talking about the word close. Okay. We don't like to use the word close. It's either a deal or it's not a deal because what happens in the final year, year and a half of any executive before they run for re-election is the hype machine of close gets rolled yeah. out, right? right? Oh, we're so close. We can't change direction now. We're at a critical juncture. Well, of all the things you, you've seen the governor talk about, both on our side and on the other side, he, he doesn't use the word close or on the cusp of, or we can't change direction when you're talking about this, this project that the private sector is going to drive anyway. You know, right. Japan and our allies in the Pacific Rim found out in the past six months, it would be kind of nice to get our product from an ally as opposed to waiting on the whims of the Chinese and the Russians. So. Like, like that scene in Force 10 from Navarone where the dam doesn't explode in a fiery ball of dynamite, but the cracks begin to form. I think Harrison Ford and Bob Shaw are running up that ladder right now and almost away from the dam as it about to split open. My speculation. Okay, well, okay you know, I haven't seen that movie because popular culture sort of escaped me in my childhood. It just, you know, it got away from me. Well, you know, we uh, we want to talk a little bit to also today about the uh, the very, very tragic death over the weekend of former Representative Dean Westlake. And Dean Westlake is from Kotzebue. He was he came in. He, he first ran against uh, Barrows or Ukjavik's uh, Ben Nagyak in 2014. And he didn't win that race. But in in 2016, with the help of the Ship Creek Group here in Anchorage and John Henry Heckendorn, who founded the Ship Creek Group with them, sort of some assistance from Jim Lotzfeld, who's another political operative here in, in the Anchorage area. Um, they, they, they managed to get um, him, Dean Westlake over the line. Uh, it, it did take a, a court case though. Uh, that was really interesting. I'll describe that in a minute. But uh, his apparently his son murdered him over the weekend in a, in a very bloody and um, brutal, violent um, killing in the home that Dean Westlake owned here in Anchorage on Rovina Street. 
And uh, apparently there was a dispute over the son not paying his rent and needing to get uh, get his life back in order. And perhaps his life wasn't in order. The guy's in jail now. He's He was a 36-year-old son. Uh, from the math that I do, it looks to me like Dean Westlake was about 62 years old when he died on Saturday. And it's just a very uh, tragic thing for his family, of course. Uh, the, the tragedy just continues to unfold. And um, I'm, I'm just sorry for the family because nobody expects that. Nobody wants that in their life. And certainly nobody deserves that. Uh, the, um, the thing with um, Dean Westlake is he's complicated. And I know you in the governor's office um, with your other hat on, you guys will have to lower the flag for him. Um, he got he, he kind of got into trouble when he was in the legislature. And this was during the height of the Me Too era in 2016. And women were reporting harassment at a pretty rapid pace all the time. And men were, were resigning from office at an equally rapid pace. Um, but he was part of this, a part of the Democratic class of 2016 that include John Henry Heckendorn and uh, Zach Fansler. And Zach Fansler also ended up resigning after some uh, very weird stuff that went on with women down in Juneau. So they, they went to Juneau, they, they had some experiences and then they left office uh, quickly. Uh, but that kind of ushered in this era of, of the Democrats owning the House, and they, the Democrats have kind of owned the House ever since then. So our, um, our sympathies and our, certainly our prayers are on behalf of the Westlake family today, and I'll pray for healing for them. Uh, I just, uh, before we go, John, do you have anything that you want to ask our guest about? Yeah, Dave, I appreciate you coming on. You know, um, as long as we I don't talk Nebraska Iowa football, John, we can talk about anything. <laughs> nice. Well, um, you know, I would say, you know, what is, uh, is there any tangible? I know that the administration doesn't like to promise things that it can't, you know, back up. And, and that's one of the faults of what you say is a lackluster. Um, uh, kind of marketing or promotional push, which I appreciate you guys being, you know, sticking to what you can deliver. And I think that's awesome. But is there anything that you, you know, either with your governor's hat on or without your governor's hat on are excited about in a tangible way for the economy, the Alaska economy here in the next, you know, year or so um, stuff that you can sink your teeth into and, uh, you know, get really excited about. What? Well, you know, I, I think it, it always goes back to resources, doesn't it? I, I think when the when the governor uh, put together that sustainable energy conference uh, a few months ago, you had folks from from different parts of the state going, you know, oilies or whatever, going. Well, why would he be talking about that? Is he going to take our pickup truck away? Mm. We're on a a twenty year glide slope of gas field reserves being depleted, major population areas. Uh, having real uh, reliability issues with natural gas. We may have to increase our, our import of LNG over the next few years. Most certainly, even with new fields up on the slope, like a picker project opening up, that will help throughput through taps. But we, we, we don't have the luxury of waiting for the next big fine to do something. And, and coupled with Alaska's mineral wealth, 
Sooner or later, gravity's going to hit. China will sooner or later make a more aggressive push in the, in the Pacific Rim, right? Putin's already shown what he's willing to do. And you, you aren't going to get, Joe Biden isn't going to be president forever, maybe not even a year and a half at this rate. But you, you are going to have pragmatic people, Republicans and Democrats go, all right, we talk about this green energy and we, we're just so much in love with green energy and blah, 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 blah. And then some smart people are going to say, how are we building this stuff again? And it goes toward these mineral reserves and resources being built by an economic and geopolitical rival. Well, you're not in a position of power to do that. Ask Singapore or Israel. They, they've taken a lot of their manufacturing in-house or they have ironclad deals with ironclad allies. But this, this great reinvention of the American energy grid and, and America's energy future is built on mining. It's built on oil and natural gas, and it's built on developing our resources domestically. And we most certainly in this administration aren't going to waver, and we're most certainly not going to have a, a, a high T with a geopolitical rival to get us there. Because, I mean, dully and boringly, as you pointed out, John, we're, we're more results-oriented than, than hype-oriented. And as someone who was a bit of a hype guy for 10-plus years, it's been interesting having to personally pump my brakes, but I'd rather talk about things that we've done or are about to be launched, like the Pickup Project, for example, than, than the, the theoretical. And with this administration, uh, while it may not be sexy to some, and they would rather have us run around beating our chests and shrieking like lunatics, smart people, pragmatic people, and serious people don't scream and yell. They just get things done. And they work with folks who might not even be politically aligned with them. And I'll give you the Alaska Reeds bill, the repeal of SB 91, and a host of other initiatives as an example of that. Yeah, well, thank you for repealing SB 91, by the way. It is, uh, it's been one of the, the really good turnaround stories for Alaska. I remember when, during the Walker administration, those of us in Anchorage, we all had to, we, you know, we had to take extra measures to lock our stuff down, to get cameras on our properties, to make sure that when we're out and about, we had a, a firearm on us because it was a wild place here in Anchorage. And even the criminals, you know, they'd, they'd uh, go, they'd steal a bike, they, they'd go ride it down the street. And if the cop was chasing them, they'd just yell SB 91. And all the criminals knew what SB 91 was. Remember, was some of them had calculators when they go, yeah. go shoplifting. They knew precisely what the cap was, and they'd be a couple bucks below that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you for remembering that. And uh, this was a, a, a bill that was a catch and release bill that uh, was passed by the Democrat-led legislature, and it was signed into law by Governor Walker. And it, it was one of the first things that this governor did. And it stabilized our society. When, when we feel a little bit safer, it, it has a, a, a great stabilizing. Can you imagine if we had SB 91 and we had that pandemic all at the same time? What a mess that would have been. So uh, that was really good. I, and I think that uh, for all the criticism that some give him over the pandemic, uh, I, you look at it and you say, he did. He did a lot of things right. He he brought in, um, you know, he, he got industry here to start manufacturing those little testing kits, and he uh, and he got industry to fly a jet over to China to get some personal protective gear because we didn't know what we were dealing with, and um, that was. And, a and I would just really quick point out, Suzanne, 
we did the small things to make people feel comfortable coming to Alaska as tourists. Right. I mean, there, there, there is an entire mindset of fear sweeping the country. Of, I don't want to go here. I can't travel. Right. And the governor's like, look, if planes are flying here, what can we do to fill them up this summer and get tourists here to to at least have some sort of trickle effect on our economy across the state? And so, yes, the, the initial response as we were writing the manual on the fly to deal with this. Right. Clearly subject for armchair quarterbacking months and years later. Exactly. But the goal wasn't to lock or shut down. The goal, honestly, if, if people would look at it, was how can we have people feel comfortable from outside of Alaska, travel here, see the state, and keep our small businesses that aren't going to be saved by a triple P loan as right. intact as we possibly can. Boy, those, this was a couple of really wild years. And it's hard to remember what we were facing at the time because we're, we're kind of looking back. But, um, but it did a great job. Well, we're out of time. And so I just really want to send, uh, thank you so much. Now, you're going to be out at the State Fair today manning this. Like there's a booth out yep. there. Starting at about three o'clock today uh, is my shift, three to ten and, o'clock. So okay, so you can if anybody wants to um, to debate you, they can come out to this. I guess I'll be the there. State of Alaska. Just don't bring a turkey leg. Yeah, and so uh, and I, I may come out there today because it, it doesn't look too bad outside. Uh, if you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, I want to thank you so much. It really makes it possible for us to you know just be a force for good in the state of Alaska. And that's that's the whole purpose of this project. We want to be a force for good. We need better policies. Of course, we need to grow better leaders in our state all the time. And we need to raise up the next generation of good leaders. So if you are a young person and you're interested in um, political life, you know, check out Must Read Alaska. Download the app because it's a good app and check in with our show as, as often as you can. John, you have a, you have the show the rest of the week, right? Yep, I got uh, Pastor Ron from ABT on Wednesday, which will be exciting. And then some other, hopefully some other guests sprinkled in there as well. Okay, so Anchorage Baptist Temple, Ron Hoffman. And, and what day is that? Uh, Wednesday. He'll be Wednesday. on Wednesday morning. Wednesday. All right. So until then, everybody, keep keeping the lights on here and uh, wishing you all the best week and signing off from somewhere in Alaska.